and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. I'm James Day, and this is Focus on Pocus, a podcast about current topics in the point-of-care ultrasound and the future of medicine. Telemedicine, right now, it's a sign of the times, and today's guest, is Dr. Barry Zering, is actively involved in telemedicine. Dr. Zering is a clinical associate professor of medicine at Sidney Kimmel Medical College. He is the division director, internal medicine, Jefferson Hospital, Philadelphia, PA, he is also well-versed in the study of hereditary cancer syndromes, photobiology, and preventative health care. So welcome. Hello, Barry. How are you? I'm good, James. Uh, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's a pleasure to have you here. And also, I forgot to mention, Barry is also my neighbor. So uh, I hope to have returned all the tools that I have borrowed from him over the years. <laughs> All right, so here we are, and uh, thank you for having us. This is right after your big work day, and I know you're calling in. And uh, so, what do you think? Has telehealthcare landscape changed since the COVID epidemic began? It has changed dramatically, um, both in the volume of telehealth visits that we do, and the and and I think the attitudes of the both the providers and the the patients who are using it. So now that we have the uh, telemedicine up and running, and I guess uh, you're seeing a lot more patients virtually, uh, was there any before that time? I imagine, I guess, somebody with a distance situation. No, um, I, I mean, there, there actually um, has been a push to use uh, telehealth, uh, telemedicine for, I'd say, well over two years. Uh, many of the big health systems, including the one that I work for, have been um, have enthusiastically embraced it, and uh, they've tried to encourage uh, people to use it. Um, I think there there was there were a, a litany of of problems or or barriers associated with using it in the pre-COVID era, some technical problems. Um, some, uh, there, was, there were several different um, platforms that had been employed, and there was, there was a learning curve for each of the platforms. And, and, and so the, you know, there, was, there was hesitation about um, changing from platform to platform. But I think the, the biggest reason, I'm in primary care, and I think the biggest reason in, in primary care that people didn't that uh, providers weren't using it is that I, I think many of our patients in the pre-COVID era really didn't see the value in using it and were quite happy to come in for in-person visits. Um, there was a small small group of people who who felt comfortable with it, but I, I think most people um, uh, felt that um, uh, they they really didn't see the value in it. 
Yeah, it's kind of a confusing, uh, it's kind of ambiguous when you say telehealth. You know, I, I immediately think of very rural settings, um, places in Africa where, you know, the geographical distance makes it more practical. Um, so I don't see it so much, and now I understand, obviously, for the epi epidemic that we're in the middle of here now. Um, what about the shift uh, of telehealth visits? How has that been sustained? So I would say in the pre-COVID era, my practice was probably doing um, on the order of me. I mean, we do, my practice does about 40,000, not me personally, but the, the practice that I work in does about 40,000 visits a year. Wow. Uh, we were probably doing 200 telehealth visits. Um, mm. uh, starting in March, uh, starting in March after the lockdown began, um, we were doing about we were doing about fifty percent of all of our visits were telehealth visits. We were doing about ten in in person visits a week, um, and uh, now, as of I would say last week. Uh, our volume has returned almost back, our total volume has returned almost back to pre-COVID levels, and the ratio is now running about 70% uh, in-person visits and about 30% telehealth visits, so uh, dramatically different than before the COVID era when we were just doing a handful of them over the course of the year. Yeah. Yeah, it's all it's it's sort of changing as we're going. And I guess uh, can you sh uh, shine a light on I guess some of the biggest downsides to telehealth visits? Uh, um, I, I think um, uh, some. I mean, at the beginning, certainly in March when we were getting this up and running, the the biggest downside were a lot of the technical issues. It was uh, exhausting even to get through the day. Many, the sound quality was variable. The video quality was variable. Mm -hmm. um, many of the patients didn't know how to use it, and the, and uh, the, the physicians were providing tech support for for people. Um, uh, we did, as an example, you know, have quite a few patients who tried to do telehealth on on flip phones and were frustrated <laughs> that they were unable to see their physician uh, from their flip phone. Um, yeah, and and I think people, you know, people's comfort level with just with just positioning themselves and lighting and and all sorts of things was just very very challenging and and very time consuming um the other thing is for physicians we're used to examining patients and and patients are used to being examined and i think one of the big barriers to using it was that uh, the physicians felt uncomfortable, uh, I think, medically and medical legally making decisions without seeing the, the patients in person. Um, and the patients uh, really, I think, felt very, um, uh, they felt that they weren't getting their money's worth. They were being charged or they were being charged a copay, which was equivalent to what they would pay to see the doctor in person and left feeling like they had just gotten an enhanced telephone call. 
Um, so I, I think uh, there was – initially, people were very happy that they could talk to the doctor um, during the lockdown. But as time went on, they became more critical of what they were actually getting during the visit. Yeah, I, I, can, I can imagine uh, one of your patients you know, saying a simple say, like, how can the doctor diagnose me without doing a physical exam? Has anyone ever said something along those I, – I can't see how you would do – you know, maybe any one of the Stanford 25 virtually? Um, it, it, there, there's, there are a few things you can do. You can see if the patient appears toxic. You can assess their respiratory rate. You mm-hmm. can look for rashes. Um, there are some people who have published studies suggesting that you can... Um, that there are certain maneuvers that you can do by video to try to um, assess abdominal pain and 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 things like that and and re- remarkably you can you can get a fairly good look in somebody's throat and mouth if they position their cell phone appropriately. The positioning is really the hardest thing because mm-hmm. you find yourself looking at 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 eyes and noses and other other <laughs> parts of the face and not always directly into the throat. <laughs> I'm just sitting here trying to think if there's any uh, technical innovations that could overcome some of these limitations of uh, telehealth. Maybe there'll be some technological innovation that they'll come out with, some more like a simulator or I'm not sure. Do you, you, you know anything about that? I I do. I mean, I think um, you know we we have as an example we have a a, a retinal camera in our office. Um, initially, it was extremely hard to take pictures of the retina, and the technology has advanced to the point now where where the the through sort of the internal AI the camera is. The, the retinal camera that we have is able to take a very good picture of the retina, and as soon as the technician positions it appropriately, a green light goes off, and they know that they've gotten a good picture. Um, hmm. Five five years ago, they were positioning the patient and moving them around and looking at the photo and seeing whether it was good, and now the camera just tells you that it's in the right place. And and so I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to come up with tech innovations like that. Yeah, and you know, the other day when we were talking, um, I know you guys are initiating uh, internal medicine there. Um, Point of care ultrasound in your program. How's that going? How is that going from, I guess, uh, from attending to maybe some of your residents? Is that integrating well with you know your daily practice? Or? Uh, the residents love it. Um, the mm-hmm. residents can't can't get enough of it. And um, you know, we're in a teaching institution, and and part of the problem is that we don't want everybody having. We 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 don't want the the wild west of ultrasound. So we um, right. we're we're trying to. Uh, teach people how to use ultrasound appropriately and make sure that they capture images and the images are reviewed and and that medical decision making is not made uh, based on poor imaging. Um, uh, So the residents love it. Um, The um, 
many of the physicians love it because, especially in primary care, we haven't always had a lot of procedures that that we do in the office, but many of the ones that we have historically done in the office, like mm-hmm. arthrocentesis and um, um, yeah. and, and even just auscultation of the heart, you know, we've lost to the specialists. So we listen to people's hearts, but anytime anything is abnormal, we send them for an echo. If we see a joint, they often go for uh, ultrasound-guided arthrocentesis, and this has given us the ability to sort of take back some of those procedures. So, um, um, it, I mean, it's it's at the beginning, and we haven't gone very far, but um, patients really like it when we are able to do procedures in the office and, and not have to... When somebody comes in and their knee is swollen, they really like having having it tapped in the office and not having to wait a week or two to see a to see radiology to get it tapped. Yeah, that's nice. That sort of gives you more of a hands, hands-on hands empowerment that you had in the past. That's good. And I know a lot of these smaller handheld devices, we have talked to a few that are coming out with some artificial intelligence to shorten that sort of hands-on clinical perceptorship learning time so your images are on axis and done nicely, uh, which makes it even more attractive. So I, I kind of want to know now that we're winding down here. Do you you, you have any uh, personal experiences to share with uh, regarding telemedicine or what you've done so far? Um, I, I mean, I, I I think the hardest thing has in the hardest thing in the age of COVID is that um, is that. We're in it. We're in an era when anybody who has a fever is has COVID until proven otherwise. So we're on, uh, we're on video all day long talking to people who, who, you know, are feeling ill, and the first thing that we say to them, or or even in their own minds, they call really thinking that they need a COVID test. Um, and and the hardest part is that mixed in that group of people who have fevers, some of them just have colds and runny noses, but other people have turned out to have more serious medical problems. And so I, I think all of the doctors in my practice now have had experiences where somebody calls and they say they have a fever and you do a telehealth visit and then send them for a COVID test. Um, and then a week, you know, the COVID test comes back and then a week later, they are still feeling poorly, and we send them for another COVID test. And uh, I have one particularly mm. memorable uh, patient who did this three or four times and then ultimately was not feeling well, and I ordered some tests as an outpatient, and it turned out that he had endocarditis and needed to be admitted to the hospital and um, and um, was really quite ill. Um, I, I think that you know um that missing piece of the of the physical exam is is not is not a small thing i think it's it's a little bit at the moment like if you if you if somebody if you took your if you did a telehealth visit of your car's service and you just drove your car in front of a a cell phone and showed your your car to 
the car mechanic, um, mm-hmm. they would have very limited information about that car, and it would almost seem silly. I mean, if you just showed the hood or the windshield of your car to a to a car mechanic and said, you, you need to repair my car, they, they would laugh at you. Um, <laughs> certain things would be okay, like if you showed them a crack in the windshield or you showed them a crack headlight or something, but certainly not the engine. Um, and I think... You know, I I think we're sort of at the start of this, and I think as as more devices, as as point of care ultrasound gets linked into telehealth, as EKGs get linked into telehealth, as home blood pressure monitors and scales and all those devices get linked into telehealth, I think it'll be much more useful. But right at the moment, um, it's it's tricky to use. Um, and and the only reason we're using it so and and it's been great we're using it aggressively because it keeps everybody safe but it it hasn't solved all of our problems quite yet. Yeah, I was just sitting here thinking of that. You know, I was thinking of having a pulse ox or a blood pressure or some EKG tabs, but but you would have to have those devices unless they were mailed to the patient. But then again, most patients are sick and they report and I don't you know I'm I'm just trying to see how that would happen. Uh, I guess it could, especially in rural medicine or different areas around the world where seeing a physician is, I'm thinking of remote places in northern Canada where they're crying to recruit physicians. They're just not enough around. and There's already a shortage in more of our urban areas. So huh, that's an interesting premise. Or if Apple builds a heart. I mean, they already have heart monitors in their Apple phones and, you know, I mean, Apple Apple watches and things. But I guess they could have a little yeah. pad and you stick your finger on just like the fingerprint thing on 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 the, on the <laughs> you know, the iPhone. You stick your finger on it and it takes your EKG and, yeah, that's, you know. That's some that's some that's some amazing stuff. I didn't even consider the whole the whole phone. I know a lot of people that I know yourself. You're a runner too, and uh, it does track you know how far you go, your 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 blood pressure and uh, your heart rate and all those basic uh, physical exam and vitals. So I can see that happening. Wow, that's interesting. And they have continuous blood sugar monitors now that are being widely used. They're not. I mean. The way they're currently used is the patient has them at home, they have it on a little recording device, and then they bring them in, and that device gets downloaded in the office onto onto a software program. But I'm sure it's it would be very easy to download them remotely, so you have all the gl- the glucose readings, and, hmm. and I think that's the way things are heading. Well, maybe next time as neighbors... Uh... When you and your lovely wife, Debbie, get together with Kathy and I, we can uh, form our own medical device company over uh, some drinks or something and start a whole new revolution. What do you think? It, it, it you know, it sounds like the next, the next Jeff Bezos. <laughs> All right, Dr. Barry Zarin, listen, it was great having you on today's podcast. It's an honor, and we thank you for all you do to increase patient safety, and you stay safe now. You as well, James. It was fun. Thanks. All right, Barry. And don't forget, uh, for more POCUS-style topics, follow us on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy and Twitter at POCUS Academy. Thank you. Thanks for listening.
listening. Be sure to join us at Twitter at POCUS Academy and Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. If you'd like to learn more about the POCUS community, visit us at POCUSworld.org. Take a look at participating in our POCUS 25 research. Help contribute to the scientific development of the top 25 point-of-care ultrasounds. And we'll see you next time. The thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.